and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard, and this episode is looking at the value of nursing and valuing nurses themselves. Nursing is of critical importance to patient safety as research on the link between staffing numbers and care outcomes has proven time and again. Nursing also consistently tops the polls of the most trusted professions by the public. So why do we have a persistent shortage of nurses? Why is there a disconnect between what the evidence shows us and achieving the challenge of a sufficient and safe number of nurses? And what are the possible solutions to this perennial issue? So joining me to discuss this is Jane Ball, Professor of Nursing Workforce Policy at University of Southampton. Jane has carried out research in this area for over 30 years. So hello and welcome to the podcast, Jane. Hi, Flavia. Hi, thank you for sparing the time to talk about this issue. So I wanted to start by asking you to summarise um, what are the differences that nurses can make to patient outcomes? Well, actually, that's, that's a big ask because there's actually a lot of research that we can look at that shows that there is a relationship between registered nurse staffing and patient outcomes. So summarising it is not easy, but in a nutshell, what we see is um, that higher levels of nurse staffing in a hospital and more degree educated nurses means that care is delivered more completely. So uh, less things get missed because of time pressures. And as a result of that, patients are less likely to suffer from complications or, or accidents um, related to actually being in hospital. So they're, they're less likely to get things like hospital-acquired infections or thromboses or, or to have a fall when there's better staffing. But at the very sort of most basic level, what we see is that lower staffing doesn't just mean that there's a, a, a worse experience for patients, but actually means that patients are more likely to die whilst in hospital. So if they go into hospital for something like common surgery, um, that really they and they're, they're in reasonably good health, so there's no reason to expect them to die. In places where there are low staffing levels uh, of registered nurses, they are more likely to die from the care they've received, from something having gone wrong or not having been picked up. So nurse staffing really is literally critical to patient safety. Um, and it's not just the number of staff that matters, but the research that, that we've done and that, that's involved a, a lot of work by Linda Aiken as well in the state, it shows that it's the education levels too, and the environment that, that nurses are practicing in. So it's where nurses have good teamwork, there's good leadership, there's visible nursing leaders, and there's nurses involved in decisions. All of those contribute as well. But the bottom line is that when you've got good nurse staffing levels, and you've got well-educated nurses, and you've got a good environment, those three things together make a really big difference to the outcomes for patients and the quality of care. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And you've talked a lot there about hospitals. What, what about other settings? Ah, yes, it's true. Well, the majority of the research, not just that we've done actually, but that other, other places have done, has focused on acute hospitals. Um, and although there is less research around um, in the other settings, um, there is some. So, for example, whilst I was working at the National Nursing Research Unit, we did some research on practice nurses um, and found that uh, where practice nurses were doing consultations, they could provide care of the same 
standard and quality as um, doctors in terms of being able to manage patients' glycemic control, say, for diabetic patients. And similarly, we've done work, um, I did a, a national survey of community nurses, and found this same pattern between uh, a relationship between those nurses who were saying that they had very high caseloads, were unable to, to deliver care um, as well as they would like. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it recurs across different settings, but it is, it is true that there's, there's far more done in the acute hospital se sector, which is um, something we need to change, I think. Mm -hmm. And so has the research made it made a difference to, to practice? Uh, it's, it's hard to say in some ways, because in some parts of the world, the research and the evidence has been very proactively used and um, to argue for legislation to make sure that actually there are sufficient registered nurses present on every shift. So places like California, and it started with just one state in Australia, but now multiple states in Australia have uh, mandated minimums to make sure that the numbers of registered nurses present are sufficient. Uh, but here in the UK and specifically England, well, 10 years ago, I'd have said that despite at that point really, you know, quite a substantial evidence base and had a review, systematic review by Kane that covered 90 something studies. Um, it really didn't seem to have made much difference to the decisions being taken locally about nurse staffing. And added to that, there was a lack of NHS policies and nothing to actually say what staffing levels should be or nothing to say even how different sectors should be planning their staffing. So there wasn't much, uh, didn't seem to be much sort of value put on getting staffing right. And you have kind of at the worst case scenario, I remember there was a, a Harry Caton, um, who is a health official at CHRE. He had actually written in an article in the HSJ that, you know, this statement that there was no direct correlation between nurse staffing and quality of care. And that seems an extraordinary statement, given that we have this systematic review, as, as I mentioned, that, mm. um, that said just the opposite, that the two things are highly correlated. Um, and I suppose what we also see is that despite the evidence, when budgets are tight and when um, and the NHS was under and still is, but had that very harsh um, efficiency saving program a few years ago. So when, when budgets are tight, it really is nurse staffing as often because it's a big budget. It's nurse staffing that's often looked to as a place to make a cut. So numbers are reduced in order to save money. And that's actually exactly what happened at mid-staff. So nursing numbers were reduced and uh, did that despite the evidence or in ignorance of it. And while that might have been okay if they'd really checked and assessed the risks, it clearly wasn't okay because those risks to patients hadn't been assessed. So they, they went ahead with those uh, reductions in staffing without knowing what the consequences or without thinking about the consequences to patients. And, and as we know, the, the consequences were terrible. Um, and that's what, of course, the Francis Inquiry revealed to us. Mm -hmm. I do think back to that, though, that, uh, and and I remember at the time, and I think it's easy for us to forget now that we're kind of some years past it, but actually the initial reaction to Mid-Staffordshire was very much targeted at nurses themselves. So I remember being struck by how much of the debate and the discussion was really centering on what's wrong with these nurses and very quickly escalated to 
what's wrong with nursing altogether? Where has nursing gone wrong? And there was this sort of assumption that it was the wrong sorts of people going into nursing or, or that they lacked decent values. And maybe they were overeducated. So they were unable to be giving the kind of care and compassion that was expected. But actually, you know, of course we need care and compassionate nurses, but that doesn't mean we can't also have degree educated nurses, because why shouldn't the two go hand in hand? Why can't you be both a skillful and a well-educated nurse and show care and compassion? But luckily that sort of initial kind of scapegoating really and putting so much on individual nurses and on individual and on collective nursing values that did get changed I think with the second Francis report into the system failing and that really helped to flag a lot of system failings but in particular uh, it also flagged that nurse staffing was a key issue that led to unsafe care not just at mid-staff but they but Francis and, and um, colleagues suggested that this was a pattern that was likely to be happening in other hospitals where there was a disregard for the evidence um, and changes made without understanding the uh, and considering the impact on patients. Mm. So that, fortunately, the good thing about that, and at least there was some good things that came out of it, was that it led to uh, Department of Health commissioning NICE to develop those safe nurse staffing guidelines for acute hospitals. So once we get to that point in history, so it was 2014, 2015, then, you know, it's good news in that at last the research evidence, you can say, uh, was really drawn on to help design those safe staffing guidelines for acute hospital wards. Mm -hmm. But wasn't nice work, uh, NICE's work on producing guidelines stopped before they'd, they'd even finished? Yes, that's exactly right. And it... it it was in 2015 and it came as such a shock. So NICE, um, as, as many, many people will know, NICE started, uh, was given the job of producing these safe, uh, safe nurse staffing guidelines for a number of different specialties. And it was planning to produce seven different uh, guidelines looking at each specialty in turn. So um, having done acute inpatient settings to then uh, move on to consider say community care or mental health and so on and work through different settings. But then in 2015, it was it came to me, it came as an absolute bolt out the blue, having been sort of so pleased to see the research evidence at last really making a difference and not just in one or two places that chose to use it, but you know, really informing national policy and creating safeguards to ensure that patients are protected and nurse staffing is sufficient. Well, the announcement came that that work was going to be stopped and it was, it really was such a shock. So, um, and it, it was completely unprecedented. So we've never had anything like that before. It never has, to my knowledge, uh, never has NICE been told to stop using evidence to produce guidelines. Mm -hmm. And it seems an, an anathema that you should, a bit like saying, with, the, with nurses saying, oh, too much education is a bad thing. It seems like an anathema to say, evidence-based guidelines to inform staffing is a bad thing or a not needed thing at least. So um, yeah, that was, that was uh, uh, I feel that that's a, a real setback in terms of the value placed on the staffing and, and using that evidence to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I know, it's quite, uh, quite unbelievable really. Well, has, has anything happened since? I mean, where, where are we at with, with this? 
Well, after that, um, NHS England and NHS Improvement took on the work, uh, and mm. that was the justification for stopping NICE's work. So they 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 uh, took on the work of producing uh, what they then called safe and sustainable uh, staffing guidelines. But the emphasis had shifted because sustainable was very much meaning financially sustainable. Mm. So we'd gone from a, a much more objective, evidence-based, evidence-informed guideline from an objective body like NICE that has got you know years of experience of producing guidelines, using evidence, involving members of the public um, and experts, uh, you know, very fine-tuned, finely honed process. We went from that to an in-house um, production of, of safe staffing and as I say safe sustainable staffing guidelines um, which was led then by NHS England which of course at the time and although the role was slightly shift but at the time was the sort of lead commissioning body uh, in England NHS so it's the body that has responsibility also for uh, ensuring that the that, that resources are kept within budget so the, the shift, there was a shift definitely then, I think, for me. Uh, other work has continued, but it's not had the same um, uh, kind of national power and uh, opportunity um, that that original research had, that original guidelines from NICE had. Mm, mm, definitely. And and does all this boil down to, to finances, the, the issues of, of nurse staffing? I think it may well be a, a major part of it. And in thinking about why was NICE guidelines stopped, I suspect my own yeah, suspicion is that a big part of it was that it became apparent that actually asking or, or, or working out that we were going to need more nurses was going to need more funding. And that wasn't a an answer or a solution that I, I suspect government departments wanted to hear. So I think it, it, it plays a, a big part in, in in all sorts of ways. So it's, and it's not just that locally, you know, organisations have got tight budgets. And so, you know, that situation I described earlier where nurse staffing gets cut because of it. I think it affects nationally as well. And, and I'm, I'm conscious that, um, there are differences. So that's very much affected how things happened here in England. But over the water in Ireland, a very different situation. Around a similar kind of time, they developed a framework for nurse staffing and for nursing. And that was produced in partnership with their Department of Health and Social Care. And it included, it not only set out a vision for how to work out how, what staffing you need, um, and, and an explanation of why it's so important and, and a recognition of that. But it also included a clear uh, calculations about the investment needed to actually increase staffing to do what was needed. So it didn't just kind of set out the vision. It also uh, recognised that they were going to have to move from where they were starting from to increase their nurse staffing, and that was going to have to require investment. And that had sort of their... You know, that had financial treasuries backing. So um, it, it, I think we often hit, sort of think, oh, it just comes down to finances. And then it means almost like, oh, so therefore we can't do it. And I've, you know, over, over 
decades now. That's often been the response I get. I present findings about how important their staffing is. And then someone in the audience at a conference will say, oh, but Jane, you know, get real. We haven't got the nurses. We haven't got the money to employ that many. That, you know, we, we can't afford it. So get real. We need to, you know, find ways of making do with what we've got. And, you know, why do you carry on sort of peddling this, as it were? But actually, for me, it's, we, we, can't, we can't afford not to. And so for me, um, it's, it's about, it's a, and other countries, I say, you know, have chosen to invest uh, that resource into nursing, into sufficient nurse staffing levels, into good nursing careers, into professional development, into making sure that there's a good, strong nursing profession that can deliver excellent care to the highest standard in different settings. Uh, so uh, for me, it's it's yeah, it's not. It, it is about uh, it is about finances, but it's also about a choice and what you decide. We as a society, or you know, what what is, and our decision makers, what is prioritised, and uh, yeah. So I think I think it's it's a big part of it is finances, but on different levels, both sort of at the micro local level, but also nationally. Mm -hmm. And how does this inaction make you feel as a researcher who spent decades presenting evidence as, as you're just outlining on, on the value of nurses? Um, it's, it's often very depressing, if I'm honest. It's, it's hard because uh, it feels as if it's having no real uh, effect um, sometimes. Uh, mm -hmm. But then you get those windows of, of opportunity and, you know, that there's that sort of theory about policy change relying on these windows of, of opportunity opening and you having to have these circumstances and the evidence to jump in in order to make policy change happen and that window opened around um, the Francis inquiry and so there was a moment of, uh, of opportunity and excitement where you could see oh at last the research is not only gently informing but is being directly drawn upon so some of the research that we've done was you know was was pivotal in, in helping to make those changes because actually they didn't want to just rely on evidence from the US, they wanted some evidence, uh, some research evidence that had been collected in the UK, in the NHS. So it, it made it really pleasing that, and some of the evidence that we, we contributed, you know, was back from 2006 or, or earlier and it was really good to see, oh, at last, those pieces of work that were done that seemed to be falling a little bit on deaf ears, at last, that, um, you know they're being heard they're being seen and they're being used um, but actually across the across the time and, and I, I have been doing this I first got involved in in doing work about nursing workforce in 1990 so it's over 30 years now and a lot of the time it has uh, you know it hasn't been used that well or it's been used for a little while and then sort of goes out of favour or there just isn't it comes back to this this fundamentally not really seeing the value so it's it's short-lived there's a moment of of uh, doing something but it's it never gets very fully done or fully recognized but um and, and other things you know that related because I, I mean I left that I was working at National Nursing Research Unit for several years with, with Jill Maven it was brilliant it was such a good setup and that unit had been going for 35 years with funding from the Department of Health um, and from the Policy Research Programme. And it was, did such important work around nursing 
and national nursing issues and national nursing policy issues and yet that lost its funding and I, it stopped so after 35 years that ended uh, around 2014 as well and that was the same sort of time that the chief nursing officer post that used to be at department of health and always had been no longer was in the department of health so unlike the chief medical officer we don't have a chief nursing officer in the department of health but i look at all these things and feel as though in combination with the, the research evidence not really always being used and, and these other ways in which nursing is uh, the value of nursing just doesn't seem to be really committed to and it, it is it is depressing and the only the way I see it and the thing that gives me a bit of hope and keeps me going is that actually over the years now and again these things do find you know the seed does find some fertile ground to sow within and I think it's that research in a way for me is, is like this type of research. It's like it's like a compass. And it gives you when you look at a compass, it tells you which way to go in and it it, it gives you that direction. Um and it'll it'll show you the, the true north. And so doing the research and actually talking about the research is part of that keeping the compass pointing and 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 keeping our that that point of reference there for us but also like a compass you know people don't you don't necessarily look at a compass all the time so uh, you know it might be shoved away in a pocket and it might be in your backpack and completely forgotten about and it's only at certain moments the compass gets brought back out again to check hold on where are we where do we need to go have we got lost and that's what I really hope that the, this sort of research and, and the work I've done over the years can do it can be it can carry on producing and providing that that frame of reference mm -hmm. so um that's what i see as, as my uh, my job really and that's probably what has motivated me you know these these past few years to just keep going keep doing it keep talking about it and keep telling everyone whether it's you know my colleagues nurses uh in clinical practice or you know the next door neighbor or someone in a taxi to because i think actually it's not just it's not just you know, convincing a particular health minister about something and it's not enough just to um you know talk to talk to your own people as it were so for me to just talk at rcm conferences or something we have to kind of use that evidence and be prepared to talk about the value of nursing in all sorts of ways to all sorts of people uh, because it's i think only that kind of constant challenge and pushing that will really help to to make things different in the long run mm -hmm. and what role has has the pandemic played in in this discussion or with with using your your metaphor of, of the compass and um, because of course you know as i mentioned in the intro that you know the the critical um safety of nursing you know its impacts on on patient care you know has never been seen more more so you know as 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 during the pandemic but also we've had you know that that kind of up and down of you know everyone clapping nurses government saying you know yeah. how marvelous they are and and yet you know no action so, yes i mean i think the pandemic it's kind of like it's it's sort of shone a spotlight on 
on it all in a in a much it's like a very intense version of what's already there uh but it's made it all the more vivid uh for me because at the beginning of the pandemic you know we we all of us could were so aware of how important nursing care and, and and healthcare more generally but in particular having enough nurses how important that was and i mean we went into that pandemic though with 40,000 nursing vacancies in England in the NHS and that's like about one in 10 posts and you know so we didn't go into it in a good in a particularly strong or robust place and that really took its toll so in that straight away we realized that the NHS it wasn't so much that we feared the disease itself so much as its ability to overwhelm the NHS so when you think back to the messages that we were being given, the public health messages, it was stay at home, protect the NHS. So it was apparent that actually our whole sort of society and our, our ability to respond to health need, all health need, was very vulnerable to this pandemic, um, to this particular disease, because and, and the, the, the sort of thing that really has a capacity limiting factor was nurse staffing. So it was no good simply um, building extra capacity in terms of those Nightingale uh, hospitals that were developed, like the beds and the ventilators. That seemed like a good solution. Well, we'll just we'll just create that capacity. But of course, what actually makes healthcare is nurses. So to turn a a, a setting into uh, a nursing care setting requires those nurses. Otherwise, it just stays being a effectively a warehouse with sort of furniture in it. So um, it, it just became really evident how important nursing numbers are. And for a little while, it felt very much like the public, anyway, fully understood that. Um, and um, as you say, with the public clapping and everything, but it it has felt so short-lived that as the pandemic wore on, I and mean, we had to increase the workforce rapidly. And if you remember, and and everyone will know, you know, where we had to uh, ask students to, to become part of the workforce. We asked people to come back who had left practice to come back in. So it was all about making sure we had enough nurses and getting a bigger workforce to deal with this, because that was going to be the make or break. But so quickly after that, you know, we, we the, the clapping and the applause and the, the, the maybe the, the value and the, the feelings of the public weren't weren't reflected in say how nursing has been treated in say the, the the subsequent payoffs. So it felt like to me like just an absurd, absurdly short-sighted thing to uh, when when a one percent payoff was was talked about just at the time when we you know we we've gone from sort of begging nurses to come back and desperately knowing that we need them to stay in. And retention has been a major issue for the last few years, and it should have been a major issue before then, but it wasn't really on the uh, policy agenda. But we really know that we need, we need to recruit more and retain more. And yet then there's that sort of, you know, almost insulting message goes out to nurses that we really need you and want you, but we're not going to offer you anything very significant in the way of a pay award. And that that it's that kind of uh, mixed message well very strong message really that we, we that sort of for me it, it suggests that we society or decision makers 
we get used to thinking nurses and their and nursing goodwill is always there. Mm. That we don't have to do anything extra or anything more or look after it. That there'll always be people willing to become nurses, and we can just keep, you know. And if we can't get enough, we'll just get some in from abroad, and that'll be no problem. We'll get them from another country, and we don't really need to think about planning, and we don't really need to think about rewarding it or think about career structures or professional development. That actually you can sort of get away with having not actually full complement, running at 90% instead of 100% of your nursing workforce, and that you'll, it'll be okay to just make up the difference with more support workforce. And that's what we've seen if you look at different reports, uh, like those produced by the Health Foundation, that, that show, you know, over the last sort of decade or so, we've just gradually got a sort of more and smaller proportion of the workforce in, in nursing teams are, is our registered nurses and more and more a support workforce and we need that support workforce but it is there to support not to replace registered nurses so um overall uh yeah it feels like the pandemic and and how things have happened as it's as it's dragged on for you know well over two years now um has sort of shown us the importance of nursing but also some degree the disregard nursing and the lack of attention to really planning it and supporting the profession so that it can do it and and the individuals in it can deliver nursing um, to a high standard but without burning themselves out uh, yeah. so that we you know we actually keep those sort of talented skillful um, people in nursing Mm -hmm. um, um, what are the solutions here? You just talked about retention. I mean, how, how can nurses in the profession actually kind of lobby on these issues? And is it all about them doing yeah, it? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, I, I often think it's really harsh to put it all on nurses themselves. Because I've, I've heard and I've read many times that sort of there's a sort of implicit argument it's well it's implied that it's actually up to nurses to make the case better but the problem with nursing is it doesn't um make its own values sort of well enough known or that we don't explain what we do well enough or we or you know other people don't understand nursing so it's our job to make them get why it's important and i think there's there's some degree of truth in that in that if things aren't okay, and if, if nursing care isn't being properly valued, and nurses themselves aren't being properly valued, yes, we do need to speak up, and we need to use the evidence to say, well, this isn't just a matter of opinion, here is the evidence that says nursing is important, that when you don't have enough nurses, you do get poorer quality patient care, things get missed, and actually it's patients that suffer. But it's not just patients that suffer in the in the kind of here and now, which they do, but also longer term, it's not an efficient way of running a system. That if you don't look after your nursing workforce, and if you don't make sure there's sufficient nurses there so that workloads are manageable, you will drive people out of the profession. You will not be able to keep people in nursing or in those posts. And that is such an inefficient way to run a service. It's expensive to keep on having to train and then recruit people in, uh, get them all onboarded, and then uh, if they if they leave within a few years, or if they leave even after 15 years, but full, with loads of experience that they take with them, that is not a good way to look after what is such a valuable resource, and that is wasteful. So, 
it's I think it's sort of a mix in that we have to be ready to, uh, whether you're a, a nurse in practice or, or, or someone uh, part of the wider nursing community, we have to be ready to use that evidence to point it out. And we have to also kind of not be prepared to compromise. So if we think it's, you know, if we think we've got a registered nursing shortage, then we should make sure we get more registered nurses and that we, can sustain that kind of supply pipeline in, in workforce terms well domestically that we can grow our own staff that we and that we support nurses to stay in the profession and to stay within uh with stay in nursing to, to carry on to living care so that's kind of up to all of us but i i think as well um as well as having persuading policymakers to to fully understand trying to carry on persuading them to understand the value of nursing and the, and the short-sightedness of not valuing it. You know, as well as that, I, I suppose for the individual nurse, for me, there's a, I suppose there's about not selling yourself short, that they, each individual nurse, it's, it's holding your own professional standards. Don't let your context mean that you that you start to compromise things or to be compromised yourself. So if there's not enough staff to care for patients safely, say so, log it, report it, complain about it. Or if there's not someone, a nurse on, on a decision-making board, either locally or, or nationally or any in any, we need to speak up and say, where's the nurse? We need that seat on, on those policy tables. We need that strong nursing leadership. And to look after ourselves and our colleagues. So if, if we as nurses know our own worth and that of our colleagues, and we don't let the context compromise what we're doing and who we are, and we remember how important each of us and each of those clinical nurses in particular, how important each of you is and each of your colleagues, then we can really show the value of nursing. And we can hold on to that. Um, and, and that's about not, as I say, not letting standards, your own standards, your own expectations be knocked, um, but trying to really maintain that. And I, I know that many nurses, and I kind of know that from the years of collecting data through surveys, and but also seeing things on Twitter, how incredibly challenging it is uh, for many people delivering nursing care, um, especially at the current time. But I really want to support people to be able to hold firm, to know their own worth and the value of the profession as a whole. And, and I think, as I say, it's, it's not just on nurses, but it's up to us as well outside of clinical practice to really help support that and be willing to stand up and be counted and not accept compromises about the way in which nursing uh, is planned, is uh, invested in, is thought about, um, but to make sure that both nurses and nursing are really valued. Mm -hmm. What an excellent message, you know your own worth and the, the value of the profession as a whole, we're, especially as we're releasing this um, around International Nurses Day as well. So yeah, very um, inspiring. Um, so finally, just an easy one. <laughs> will will we ever get this right? You know, nurse, nursing numbers and and staffing levels. Uh, 
Oh, that's that's a uh, that's a big question, isn't it? I, I mean, I I desperately hope so, and I wouldn't keep going doing this kind of work <laughs> um, if I didn't believe that it is possible to get it right. But I also feel sure, having generated this kind of research evidence for a long time now, that getting it right isn't going to happen by chance. So it's going to take keeping going, more evidence, but really using it, and it, it's going to take you know, many different efforts, I think, um, on different levels, and not just within nursing, as I say, but outside of it, policymakers, maybe a shift in public thinking so that they really understand the value of nursing, not just think nurses are nice people, but actually understand why we have degree-educated nurses and what added value it is, and it's not just a nicety about there being people around on a, on a hospital ward so but yeah so I think it's going to have to be a, on multiple fronts we, 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 we can get there I hope so good good well it's good good to, it's good to end on a positive for sure <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. so thank you very much Professor Jane Bull and um, this also coincides with your inaugural lecture as well doesn't it at um, University of Southampton so yeah wish you all all the best with that as well and thank you very much for taking part in the nursing standard podcast thank you for inviting me thank you Flavia and thank you very much for listening just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back and we greatly appreciate any feedback so please do rate or review us on apple or spotify podcasts which will also help other people to find us i hope you enjoyed the show